want to invite everyone to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. There's a pretty well-known scholar uh, named Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman teaches New Testament at the University of North Carolina, and he's an atheist. He spends much of his life work, life's work examining the texts of Scripture to unearth uh, what appears to be contradictions in it, uh, and he tries to deconstruct how Scripture was uh, edited and brought together through time. Uh, and he's a prolific author. He's written many books, uh, books like Misquoting Jesus, Forged, How Jesus Became God, uh, and The Triumph of Christianity. And all those sound like nice sounding Christian titles, except for the fact that they all try to explain away the faith. Uh, they try to explain the, the natural causes behind how we got scripture and how we got the faith. Like I said, he's an atheist, but at one point, Bart Ehrman was, uh, actually, he considered himself a born-again evangelical Christian. He, when he was a teenager, uh, he, be, he believed, and he believed wholeheartedly that the Bible was the inerrant Word of God. So what happened? What happened between Bart Ehrman then and, and Bart Ehrman now? Bart Ehrman couldn't get over the problem of sin and evil. In uh, one of his books on suffering and evil, he claims... In times of questioning and despair, people often quote the Bible to provide answers. Surprisingly though, the Bible does not have one answer, but many answers that often contradict one another. It was, in other words, it was because the Bible provided so many answers that, and he thought that they contradicted one another that led him to end up rejecting Christianity. To me though, the fact that the Bible provides many answers says the opposite. The very fact that the Bible has many answers and not one simple one shows that it's real about life. The Bible is, is real and honest about suffering and pain. It's, it's real about sorrow and lament. And in Psalm 13, David shows us how to cry well. David can show us how to lament well because he lamented deeply. And the best part is that this was inspired and is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So God Himself stooping to show His people how to lament. So let's look at at Psalm, Psalm 13 together. Psalm 13. To the choir master. A Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. 
depending on where you are in Scripture, it, it doesn't always divide up nice and neat, but, but Psalm 13 has three distinct parts to it, and each part shows us how to lament well, and it's divided up nice and neatly, uh, those three parts, into two verses each. So verses 1 to 2, and then 3 to 4, and 5 to 6. And so the first part in verses 1 to 2 shows us the first part of lamenting well, and that is cry out deeply with honesty. Cry out deeply with honesty. The first good chunk of this psalm is nothing but questions. Right? How long, O Lord, will You forget me forever? How long will You hide Your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? That's one, two, three, four, five questions. And and one of them is actually like a double question. So six questions Back to back to back. He's just asking these questions. And, and the very nature of these questions shows us that this isn't the first time he's prayed about this. Right? The very fact that he's asking how long shows that this is not the first time he's prayed. So it's like a record player. You know, and, and new, normally with a record player, you take the needle and you drop it on the edge of the record. So it starts from the beginning, but we have taken the needle and dropped it right in the middle. So we're in the middle of the album. We don't know what's come before us. We don't have the background. We're just dropped into the middle of this intense season of lament for David. We don't know his problem. And that's actually probably a good thing because David's situation, it, takes, it allows us to take a situation and make it our own. So David asks over and over and over again essentially one question. How long? Have you ever asked that? How long will I be sick? How long will I have to be in pain? How long will I be lonely? How long will I have to witness my spouse or my kid destroy themselves? How long will we have to struggle with infertility? How long will we have to live on the brink of bankruptcy? How long will I struggle with doubts and despair? How long? See, this question, how long is the question of a sufferer? This is the question of someone in a season that seems like torment that will not end. I've been there. In college, I was under a dark cloud of despair and condemnation. And David's question resounded so deeply with me. How long must I carry this sorrow in my heart? Right? He says, how long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? The NIV says, how, how long shall I have sorrow in my heart every day? I wake up every day and it's like this black hole in my chest. How long? Have you forgotten me, God? And we don't get answers. We don't get answers right here in Scripture. And a lot of the times when we ask that question, we don't get answers from God. How long? A week? A month? A year? Five years? Ten years? There's there's no deadline when suffering and sorrow will end. There's no deadline. Sometimes the pain is so deep that we carry it 
with us for the rest of our lives. But these questions free us to be real with God. God is not put off by the confusion created by sorrow. God's not put off by being confused. God's not put off by you wondering why. He's not put off by wondering how much more you can take. He's not put off by frustrations. He's not put off by exhaustion. He's not put off by those deepest, darkest pits of your sorrow. And when you go to the doctor, right, you, you, it doesn't help him if you hide information from him. Sometimes you have to tell the doctor information that's embarrassing for you. Sometimes in our wrestling with God, it can feel shameful to admit that we have the questions and wonderings that we have. But these kinds of questions free us to be real with God and, and to cry out with Him with honesty. And so sometimes this just looks out crying out to God. So being honest about our pain. God, this hurts. It hurts so badly. I don't know how much more I can take. And right now it doesn't feel like you're hearing me, but I cry out to you. We can, we can cry out with this honesty. Other times, other times our honesty looks like confession. Right? Being honest about the disposition of our heart. So, so God, these doubts, this, this pain makes me doubt that you are good. This, I, I want to be mad at you because of this. I know I shouldn't be, but I'm struggling. You're free to tell God what's on your heart because He knows what's in your heart anyway. So God invites us to be honest with Him. Jesus is a beautiful example here in the Garden of Gethsemane. With the cross on the horizon, Jesus prays with brutal honesty, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Take the cross away from me. Think about it. God the Son had eternally planned this with God the Father to die on the cross. And He feels the freedom to ask God if it can be done another way. God invites our honesty. Painful honesty. Embarrassing honesty. Sometimes shameful honesty. But He invites those parts of us that we wouldn't show to anybody else. Willa used to have this toy that I think all of us had at some point. I think it's been around for a couple thousand years. It's one of those that has the arrow in the middle and you spin it and the animal makes the noise that it lands on, right? So a sheep goes, bah. I'm pretty sure they developed those in like uh, medieval France or something like that. They've been around for a long time. Uh, and well, as it uh, goes with all babies, she subjected it to the spilled milk torture. So spilled milk gets all up in there and then it got to where no matter what animal it would land on, it would just, it was stuck on the same animal. So it would land on a line and it would go, the cow goes, moo. So not wanting her to get messed up, uh, we decided to hide the toy and all was good until We'd be watching TV and all of a sudden we'd hear just out of the blue, the cow goes moo. So 
uh, I felt like a Toy Story movie, you know, he's, this toy's like, help me, crying out for help, and we just take his batteries out, laid it to rest. We, we are not creatures who deal well with repetition. I don't like hearing the same animal noise playing over and over again. We don't like repetition, the, the same old, old routine. The same repeated question you might get from a kid on a road trip. And, and we certainly don't like to repeat ourselves over and over again. And in sorrow, repeating ourselves can get old quickly. But this second part of lamenting well we find in verses 3 and 4, and it is this, ask constantly with desperation. Ask constantly with desperation. In this part of the psalm, David kind of switches from, from crying out, crying about, crying out about his situation to actually making a request. And here, here's the request. He says, consider and answer me. Oh Lord, my God, light up my eyes. That's the request. And the request is intertwined with like this uh, description of the urgency of it. So, so God, answer me, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest I die, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So, so he's do this, and if not, this is what's going to happen. But the first thing I want you to notice about this is the simplicity of the request. Consider and answer me. That's it. That's the request. That word consider only um, occurs about six times in the Old Testament. And they all occur in the context of laments. It, it's a prayer that just says, look, God, look. And, and this right here, like honesty, it, it's freeing. This is freeing. Sometimes our prayers feel, feel like they don't go beyond the, the ceiling. It just feels like they just fall flat and that we're praying to nothing. And sorrow and pain make us feel that way even more so. And more than that, especially when that season of sorrow and pain is prolonged. Because you're praying for the same thing over and over and over again. And the more that you pray for it, the less it feels like it's going up and the more it just feels like it's staying here. How many times have you asked for healing? For yourself or someone else? How many times have you asked for relief? How many times have you prayed the same thing over and over again? But the reason that this is freeing is because it's so simple. And sometimes the only thing that we can pray is, God help me. God look and answer. I think it was John Bunyan who once said, bless the God who put it in my heart to pray, keep me. Keep me. Hold me. It's not about how strong your faith is. It's not about how strong your praying is. It's not about how strong you feel. To quote Charles Spurgeon, the weakness of your faith will not destroy you. A trembling hand, <clears throat> a trembling hand will receive a golden gift. The point is to keep praying. Pray what you can. It might be three words, but keep going. 
an important element of that is desperation. Sometimes the very fact of asking over and over and over again makes us desperate. David is desperate. And if I can paraphrase this little part right here, I would say it this way. I would say, God, answer me because if you don't, I'm going to die. God, answer me because if you don't, I'm going to lose my faith. If you don't, I'm not going to make it. We can be real about the threats that we face too. The threats of, the threat of sin. We can be real about the threat of Satan. The threat of, of pain that's overwhelming. But what's important to realize is that desperation isn't a lack of faith. Being desperate is not a lack of faith. Desperation, becoming desperate, jerks us awake from lethargy and self-reliance. It jerks us awake because we can't rely on ourselves. We can't rely on anything else. So desperation becomes an opportunity for dependence. This is different from despair. right? Despair gives up and says there's no hope for me. Despair is a lack of faith. Desperation keeps us going back to our only place of refuge. Once again, Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So praise God for desperation that keeps us crawling back to His throne instead of letting us stay in our own self-righteous, self-reliant world. We're given permission in this song. You have permission to be real with God. Honest with God. Honest about your frustrations. Real about pain. Real about your questions. Real about your requests. Real in your desperation. But we can't stop there. When you're trying to teach a kid how to walk, you're not just teaching them how to walk, but where to walk. You can go here, but you cannot go here. You can go into your room, but you can't go out in the street. And as they get older, you're teaching them where they should go and where they should not go. It's the same with lament. Our lament has a direction. We want to learn to lament well so that we know where to go. We want to steer our lament in the direction of refuge. So we come to the last part, verses 5 and 6. Trust restingly with grace. Trust restingly with grace. So David cries out with this brutal honesty. He's not hiding these ugly parts of himself from God, the ugliness of his pain, the ugliness of his sorrow. He's real about it and the danger he feels. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Sorrow and pain can make us question many things. Is God good? How is God good? Has God forgotten me? Will God ever deliver me? Does God love me? Has God decided to leave me? But there is always one solid answer that stands above the heart of ark of history which stands as the eternal source of faith and hope. God's love for sinners 
displayed on the cross of Christ. It's not an accident here that David says, I have trusted in your steadfast love, right? To us, that's kind of just nice sounding words, but this is an intentional phrase. God's steadfast love refers to his special covenantal love he has with his people. And so David, remember, is under the old covenant. And if God's steadfast love was accessible then, how much more is it accessible now? We live under a new and better covenant. One where our obedience and our disobedience are answered in Christ. The questions that we have and the pain that we wrestle with should always be brought to bear upon Christ. Upon His life and upon His death and upon His resurrection. And so the the questions may not be answered. The pain may not end. The season might seem unending, but the heart always looks for a place of retreat. A place of refuge and rest. You're going to retreat somewhere. And the lament of faith says, God, none of this makes sense. I can't make sense of this. None of this... I can't make out left from right. I don't know why I'm going through this and I carry this pain and this sorrow and these doubts in my heart every day But I look to Christ. Because in Christ I know that you are good to me. In Christ I believe you are faithful to me. Because you gave Christ over to darkness for me, you will not leave me in darkness. I collapse here on Christ. That's the lament of faith. He takes, David, he takes this lament in a direction. And he chooses to trust. So in order to lament well, in order to be sorrowful faithfully, we take it in the direction of the Gospel. We stake our claim on God's goodness to us because He is good to us in the Gospel. The Gospel is our eternal source of hope when we have every reason to feel hopeless. God is steadfast to us because the gospel is steadfast. The gospel will always be true and it will always be true of you. There's a bird in the Amazon rainforest called a mannequin. Not like it's not it's spelled differently than like a mannequin mannequin, but it's pronounced mannequin and there are over 50 species of this bird. And each of these 50 species has a different dance. God dances. Our God is a dancing God. God is a singing God. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And because God is a singing God, He wants His people to sing. That's what David does in this psalm. Psalm. He ends his lament with singing. I will, what does he say in verse 6? I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Dwelling on God's grace, on His bounding goodness and, and grace to us in the Gospel causes us to sing. 
we may not feel happy when we do this. The sorrow may still be present. Joyful singing isn't necessarily happy singing. But it is hopeful singing. Teresa Flora, who was a missionary in Africa with Jim, right, unexpectedly lost her husband Jim a month or so ago. And, and Teresa has been really open and honest about her pain. Right? You can read it on her Facebook posts. She's, she doesn't hide it. She's very much filled with pain and sorrow. But at, at Jim's memorial service, uh, one thing stood out to me more than all the others, and it was just tears covering her face, face, she still stood up and sang. I wouldn't have described her as happy in that moment. Now, I would have described her as very, very, very sad, very sorrowful. But she still sang with hope, and she still sang with joy. We sing the song of grace. You give and you take away. Blessed be your name. You can sing that with tears and it can still be true. David lamented well because he lamented deeply. And we know the greater David. The one who lamented perfectly and lamented deeply on our behalf. Our greater David, the greater King, Jesus, went before His people. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus lamented. Jesus wept and lamented deeply. And Jesus' lament went unanswered. He went to the cross. And because He went to the cross and died in perfect obedience, He guaranteed that our lament will not go unanswered. That doesn't mean we will find the deliverance we want. It doesn't mean our questions will be answered. It doesn't mean that someday it's just all going to poof and go away. But it does mean we have a sure answer to the question, does God hear me? Does He answer? And in Christ, the answer is a resounding yes. You need not doubt that in Christ. He treated Christ the way that you deserve and now He treats you the way Christ deserves. If you are a Christian, if you have truly repented and trusted in Christ, God the Father treats you the way He treats His Son. Some of you today can't lament like this because you've never even lamented your sin. That's what repentance is. Repentance is realizing the ter terrifying reality that sin has separated you from God and you are under condemnation. And you can't lament like this until it's your sin that you lament and recognize that you, first and foremost, have created the separation from, you, from God. The reason He doesn't hear you is because of your sin. So the first step for you is to lament your sin and to turn to Christ. Some of you who are Christians need to lament of unrepented sin in your life. But regardless, God gives us permission to lament well. To lament our sin. 
to lament loss, lament pain, lament ongoing sorrow. He gives us permission to lament well and He gives us the direction our lament should go. To His Son, Jesus. So let's all go there this morning. Let's pray. Father God, You are not just a God who looks down and sees sorrow. You are not even just a God who stoops down to hear us in our sorrow. You are a a God who became man and experienced our sorrow. Lord, before we ever cry out to You in pain and in suffering, You have already been there. And in fact, that is where we meet You. The deepest, darkest pits because of the Gospel are not the final word. They're not separation from You. Lord, it's where You are. Father, help us to lament well. All of us in this room have some history of pain, some pain we bring to the table, some question that has gone unanswered. Some prayer that we pray over and over and over again. But Father, help us to always retreat to the throne of grace. And God, may those who are in the pit of darkness and sorrow because of sin, not stay there because of sin, but turn to You in repentance and faith. We ask these things of You in Jesus' name. Amen.